Now entering Nerdist.com. It's the Nerdist Writers Panel on the Nerdist Podcast Channel. Ben Blacker talking writing with writers. Writers talking writing can get pretty exciting. The talk can be enlightening. It's very rarely frightening. Ben Blacker talking writing with writers. Welcome to the Nerdist Writers Panel Series, an informal chat about writing and the business and process of writing. Each and every panel benefits A26LA, the national nonprofit tutoring program. For more information on A26LA, visit A26LA.org. I'm your moderator, Ben Blacker. Follow me on Twitter, at Ben Blacker. I'm the co-creator of the Thrilling Adventure Hour stage program and the style of old-time radio, available as a podcast on iTunes and via Nerdist.com. Uh, I've written for the series Super Ninjas and Supernatural, with credits including The Invisible Man, The Dead Zone, Standoff, and Kville. Our first panelist is the co-creator of Terra Nova and the creator of the CW's Nikita. Welcome, Craig Silverstein, please. <laughs> sure. Can all come out. Come <laughs> all right, we're, all right. I, I want Craig here. Oh, oh sorry. <laughs> we screwed this up. This is the best dinner party. <laughs> I want Craig here. I want Danny here. Okay. And then I want Marty on the end. <laughs> all right. Pretend they're walking out when I introduce them. <laughs> uh, hi, wow. Craig. Say hi so hey. they know what you're here. Hello. Thank you. Oh. Uh, after a start writing for the Arsenio Hall Show, our next panelist credits include Evening Shade, Grace Under Fire, and Just Shoot Me, among others. He's the creator of Off Center and is currently executive producer of Modern Family, Danny Zucker. Hi. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> and our final panelist, work her way up the ranks to become, in essence, the co-showrunner of Buffy. Is that fair? Uh, she then wrote for Angel, Prison Break, co-created Point Pleasant, wrote for Brothers and Sisters and Grey's Anatomy, ran its spin-off Private Practice. Most recently, she's been consulting producer on Mad Men and Glee and wrote the film Fright Night. Uh, essentially, she's had a hand in everything you've ever watched. Uh, please welcome Marty Noxon. <laughs> Hello. Hello. <laughs> Thank you, guys. Thanks Hello. for being here. Okay. Um, let's let's jump right in. We, uh, you, you guys have had uh, individually fascinating uh, careers, and I feel like there's so much to cover here. Um, so I want to jump in with what, to me, are the most pressing questions, and then we'll kind of backtrack and cover some more general stuff. But Craig, <laughs> it's time to talk about Terra Nova. Tell us, uh, I, I read your script uh, for Terra Nova, and I really liked it. Um, I, it was it was fun. It had great adventure. It had great family stuff. It was funny, and there was like it was Deadwood with dinosaurs. Uh, it was a really great script, and I, I lobbied hard to get on the show. Um, but tell us about how you got involved in this show and what happened through that process, because it's not uh, uh, it's an instructive story for Hollywood, I think. Um, okay, yeah, it it actually is a pretty. Uh uh, unconventional story, I guess. I mean, I had never experienced uh, anything like it uh, before. Mm-hmm. Um, the it started with a a woman named Kelly Marcel, who was a writer from the UK, and um, had never uh, been out here. Um, my 
former uh, agent, uh, Aaron Kaplan, had kind of left the agenting uh, business and became a producer and called me up and said, um, you know, sent me a, a treatment for something called Gondwana Highway. That was the name of it. Um, and uh, I read it, and it was basically um, Little House on the Prairie with dinosaurs. Um, and, you know, I guess, I guess, yeah, it became Deadwood with dinosaurs. Anyway. Um, but, um, and I read this thing about, uh, you know, people in, you know, from a ruined future get going back in time to, um, and I thought it was the best idea that I'd heard in 10 years. I, I was blown away by it. And I, I met with her and, um, was this, it was written on spec by her? No, it was just a five page uh, oh, okay. kind of, you know, proposal. And, sure. and what it was, I guess, was supposed to be for, um, for British television. Mm-hmm. And Aaron Kaplan had intercepted it and said, there's no way you should make this for British television. It's a big show. Um, they'll only do six episode cycles. Mm-hmm. Like you want to be on an American network. Um, and, uh, so we all met and uh, talked about it, and I said, you know, I think um, this is awesome. I think maybe Gondwana Highway, you need to change the title. <laughs> um, and, um, and that, uh, you know, it needs more of a, a, like a focus and, the sci-fi and some sci-fi and uh, the sci-fi rules beefed up, and, um, and they, they were for a little bit. Uh, <laughs> and, um, and then, uh, you know, we went around and pitched it, um, to the networks. We didn't even go to a studio. Um, I had just sort of gotten out from a deal uh, with 20th after, you know, four, four and a half years. And, um, you know, there was always this process where you had to clear it with the studio um, before you went out to networks. And some really, I, I felt some really cool ideas had kind of been blocked, um, you know, when I was there. And so I was like, let's just not go to the you know. Um, and... Uh, Fox and CBS both um, made uh, bids for it, I guess. And we went with Fox, just seemed like, you know, the place. Mm-hmm. And um, it was very typical, like, here's, here's, the, here's the outline, mm-hmm. here's, the, here's the script. And then, but at the same time, I, was, um, I had a uh, deal to do a script for Warner Brothers. Um, and the deal was made before, kind of while we were pitching Terra Nova. And so I tried to get that deal to be Terra Nova, um, except uh, basically it boiled down to we, we want to do a script with you, but, but not necessarily with this other uh, writer and this other producer, you know, who was Aaron. Um, and then we sold it, and then I went back to them, and how about now? And then, uh, and then we went to um, every studio, uh, and ended up back at 20th, where I, which I had just left, you know? And um, uh, it was, I, I got to tell you, it was super low profile. I mean, I don't even think that, like, some of the people at the network n- knew that it was, it was bought. Wow. Like, um, the guy, uh, the executive who bought it, I don't think he, he even pitched it up to his place. He's going, oh, it's this thing, you'll, I don't know. I don't know if it's going to, you know, work or not. And then... Um, it, it went. Oh, my agent was also saying, "I was like, well, what if both of these shows go? Because one's for Warner Brothers and one's for Twenty. He's like, they're not both going to go." <laughs> um, and uh, the uh, so it was kind of right in the same time, like bouncing back and mm-hmm. forth between the Nikita pilot and, and Terra Nova. And um, when it went 
uh, in. We didn't hear anything for a little bit. We went in late because of that. And, and then, you know, it started to, I guess, build a, a groundswell within the network because um, they had done a new thing that year where they gave it out to, instead of just the development executives, they'd given certain scripts out to a group of 30 executives that covered marketing and scheduling and, pro, you know, it was a, and um, it kind of uh, built up support. And then all of a sudden I heard uh, good news. They want to do it. They think it's too expensive to do as a pilot, so they want to go straight to series. And it was like, it's the only way to amortize the cost of the sets and all that stuff, right? Now, now I hadn't gotten any notes yet, like, because they're basically like, they're basically like, um, you know, we have notes, but we really have to figure out if we can do this, you know, if this can be economically feasible. And how long had you been living with the pilot at this point from the time you got the the first little write-up to uh, turning in a draft? Um. It was, um, I mean, if I had my iPhone, I could tell you the dates. <laughs> well, roughly. It was like a couple months. You know, okay. you pitch in, you pitch in uh, September, delivered, uh, like, right around Christmas. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, you know, so, yeah, so it was typical. Okay. Um, and, uh, but then it got out of typical when they said, <laughs> you know, the, the straight series. But then the Nikita pilot also got picked up. Mm-hmm. The, the script also got picked up. The pilot, traditional, uh, you know, way. So... Uh, that was in first position since that was the thing sold first and I wasn't going to be able to do uh, Terra Nova. Mm-hmm. So they had to, um, they had to find uh, someone else to, to write it, to run it. But before they did that, they went and attached Steven Spielberg. They went and attached <laughs> Peter Chernin. Uh, they went and, atta- you know, and, and their oh companies. And, um, and uh, you know, it, it kind of uh, built up, you know, it up. And I actually didn't, hear about it for a while I was up in Toronto producing the Nikita pilot um, and then there was some talk like well if that doesn't go then you can go back to it um, but it did go that went to series they were still in the process at that point mm-hmm. um, that's how that got started I don't know <laughs> that's that's crazy yeah. already uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> but uh, you know what? We'll pick up there. <laughs> okay. I have a lot. I have a lot of questions, but yeah, I have yeah. to sort through them. <laughs> um, let's let's move on so we can meet each of you at least. Uh, Danny, tell I also us- wrote the Terranova. <laughs> everybody did. Yeah, I think yeah. I think everybody here. Wrote I do the have Terranova. a story about that though, because I've never been sort of. Cre- I, there was a. I got a call right before you all were flying to New Zealand. You probably weren't even in there. Mm-mm. It's like, hey, can you? punch up the Terranova pilot, which is like they wanted, they wanted jokes with the Terranova pilot. Some like hysterical calls from Fox. It was just this crazy thing. We want to make the, di- I guess the dinosaurs weren't funny enough. And, um, and, uh, and, so, and so I said, sure. And it's like, well, and all these big people were supposed to call me, including like someone from Spielberg. I thought, oh, this is cool. I'm like a comedy writer. like, we get easily starstruck. And, um, and, 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 uh, and then they never called. And then like, Six months later, it was like it was on a blog, and it was like people were telling me, like, "Oh yeah, like it was." People had thought that I took a pass on the Terra Nova script, and they said, "And and all, and but this has never happens." And they said, "Oh yeah, the script got much better. Thank you so much." I had executives <laughs> praising me for Terra Nova. So, so did point. you take credit? Of course. <laughs> all right. <laughs> yeah. Poor comedy writers. Yeah. <laughs> um, speaking of uh, working with dinosaurs, yes. Okay. Let's. Uh, <laughs> 
<laughs> I'm old. Not you. No, I know. Oh, but I am. Um, but we talked about some of the, the credits uh, that you have, including Evening Shade and Grace Under Fire, mm-hmm. um, but also these more recent shows like Modern Family. Um, tell us about working with some of these big personalities in your past. We, haven't, we don't get to talk about actors very much here. Oh. Uh, but, you know, they're sort of key to the well, process. I had an interesting sort of start. Like, I started in a, a variety writing, which was fine. You know, like, so I was a joke writer, pure joke writer. So, I, you know, I, my first real sort of gig was the Arsenio Hall show um, where I wrote Woof Woof. Um, that was, <laughs> and uh, he wanted to go with a bleeding sound, like a sheep. But I said, no. It's not cool. <laughs> and uh, that was fun. And, I, you know, I wound up writing the Emmy Awards one year and some various jokes. You know, just as a, just pure Pure joke stuff, and it was it was it was a good time. I made my break into 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 sitcoms. I have a funny little sidetrack. They I got called into there was a show called Baby Talk that was sort of based on Look Who's Talking. Julia Duffy. Yes, I, I, I was there after Julia Duffy. Uh, many many people call it the golden era of Baby Talk. Um, uh, with um, uh, Mary Page Keller and the great Scott Baio and. <laughs> And uh, and uh, Tony Danza as the voice of the baby, and I, it's amazing that thing can go ten years, right? And uh, and uh, but they called me in, and this job has never been—I'm the only person I ever know to have this. And I carved out a name for myself writing jokes. You know, I was young, had thick, luxurious hair, and uh, and I—they uh, uh, I, wanted somebody to—they uh, wanted to punch up the baby. They wanted somebody to come in on every script. I was a script pediatrician, not a script doctor, and uh, and and so that was like my first that was my first foray into that. And so was, so that's just a little a little a little side thing. At one point, when I I actually did in a, in the recording studio have Tony Danza say, and these things, stories always sound apocryphal, but he's like the baby wouldn't say that, which I think was like. <laughs> I was, I was like, I was, I was all jocular and little like, Tony, and the baby really wouldn't say anything. And, uh, um, and interesting about Tony Danza, it, it, less of a sense of humor than you might think. Really took that baby seriously. So then um, I went in, and my first job was uh, my first sitcom job was with on Evening Shade, um, second season, second and last season, right after his um, uh, he had announced his divorce from. Uh, Lonnie Anderson and was going to throw himself into his work and whatever pills and vodka he swallowed and um and so he was that was that was a little bit of a crazy time and so I just assumed sets were crazy there were a lot of great people on that show like Hal Holbrook and you know, Ozzie Davis it was an amazing um, Michael Jeter there were just great people but he was nuts um, yeah. My wife is saying I shouldn't say that. <laughs> He's eighty. He hasn't said any names yet. Yeah, I haven't said Burt Reynolds. Um, and then I went from there. I went. I decided to go to a more sane place, so I went to Roseanne. And uh, and I'll say I won't really trash Roseanne at all. I really won't because at the end of the day, I'm scared of her. And uh, yeah. But um, and that was that was a very it was a crazy place. It was she. There were at one point she kept throwing writers at us. Like that we'd show up and there'd be more writers that she had met in clubs. Like like oh at one God. point, like some I, I think it was a guy who parked her car. It's like yeah, sold a joke and then he's in our writers' room. <laughs> and it culminated with there were like something like thirty something writers. You know, the year before I was there. Um, the they 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 yeah at the same time. What what they, season did you come in? I came in. I want to say fifth, I think. Okay, so it was fairly well. Fifth or sixth, yeah. And, um, but she had actually made 
shirts for the writers with numbers on them. Um, so <laughs> that was what she did. So I didn't. I, I think she did it as a joke. I think. <laughs> so I don't know anything. The, the thing about that show though was there was this balance and there was this fight between the writers and the the performer, this this bigger than life character. And somewhere in the middle of that show. Of like we'd write stuff that we thought was perfectly genius, and she would throw it all out. But it forced us to actually say, "Okay, wait, how could we change this?" And I think that there was this sort of sweet spot between her craziness and our not what we are probably our craziness too, and um, that was there. And what happened in the latter seasons of Roseanne after I left? I'm not patting myself on the back at all. I was a story editor. I didn't have enough pull, but her vision of the show took over. The thing she always wanted, which was like for the family to win the lottery and to be the Beverly Hillbillies. And she was always pitching that. But there was always this fight. And so we got this brilliance in there. And then, and then we lost. Then I went to um, – because I had had enough of that kind of tough, toughness. I went to Grace Under Fire with Brett Butler, <laughs> which was all of the craziness times ten. Um, but less of the funny, like 10% less of the funny, uh, 10 times less, negative 10. Um, <laughs> I'm using mathematical notation to, to talk about how not funny that was. Uh, As all good writing yeah. is and she was, you know, <laughs> mathematical. She, yeah, she was out of her mind. I mean, what can I say? That was an out of her mind time. Uh, but up. there is something to, you know, especially in comedy, yeah. for, for good stuff to come out of that tension. Without and it clearly doubt. did on, on Roseanne. I mean, yeah, it did. She had a number of terrific years. It was great. I mean, it, no, she there, there definitely, uh, there definitely was. And I remember I got to my first sane set that was like genu- genuinely like sane. I was telling you this one before, but uh, um, I, uh, it was just shoot me. And I was, you know, I'd come in. They had done a short season of six, and I came in. I was under a Brillstein Gray deal, and I was sort of like I'd pop in, and I came in on episode six of the that mini season, and then was was there as a co EP um, and doing pilots. But I'd go to that stage and people were nice and <laughs> friendly and like had your phone number and like knew the names of your, you know, your spouse. And it, I, I thought I was I thought it was like an elaborate punking. Like I thought like <laughs> I, I, I thought I'm not falling for this shit. I know you're going to I know it's going to happen. But so it was like it, it can work. And I mean, it doesn't make for a great story. But where I currently work are just, you know, from the actor writer perspective, um, some of the nicest, most collaborative Smart. Um, I mean, I count them as friends. I have many of them in my cell phone. <laughs> <laughs> and that's interesting because I think it shows you yeah. don't need that tension yeah, you to make great comedy. Yeah. I mean, because you, you guys are clearly doing that. Yeah. Uh, Marty, we had, uh, we've had a number of uh, Buffy alum here. And uh, I think it was Doug Petrie said, working on Buffy was like going to Hogwarts for <laughs> a generation of writers. Um, how do you, for a couple of questions, you know, is this the, was this the case for you? Did you have that kind of intense learning experience? Um, and then I'll, I'll ask the follow-up. Um, yeah, I, I, I mean, I think it's like a lot of things you don't know till it's, you don't miss your water till it's gone, you know? <laughs> um, I'd never been on a TV show before, and I, uh, when I first got the offer, um, you know, they, they called after my meeting with Joss and said that he wanted me to go on the show, but they didn't have a, a deal yet, and I already had an offer from a, a show called The Pretender. <laughs> 
and uh, it was a you know go on NBC, and yeah. I was like, sorry, Joss Whedon, I you know <laughs> I uh, I got to go work on The Pretender because you know, <laughs> and he there was this sort of pause, and he was like, okay, if you want to suck, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and he said like you know would you rather work on that or come here and learn how to be a good writer? And I was like, oh, <laughs> well, when you put it that way, <laughs> um, <laughs> maybe I should try oh that thing. Um, so it was actually real. I was I had to take a leap of faith because mm-hmm. Buffy, as much as I liked the first you know eight episodes, was a, a m- series based on a failed, awful movie <laughs> that even he hated and wouldn't let me watch. And um, it was on the WB, which at that point was really um, you know a fledgling network and. Um, so I had to just trust that uh, you know the show was as good as I thought it was, um, and then yeah, I mean he his style of working and the way we worked there was so focused on character. You know it was so clearly every. I mean we'd beat those stories. Um, sometimes it felt um, you know kind of insane because you'd be working on a trying to break a story for for weeks. You know. Um, Can you think of an example early on in your tenure there? I, when wasn't it like that? I really? mean, yeah. I mean, it was rare that something kind of just came out. Hmm. You know, it, it was always, uh, you know, but what if? You know, and <laughs> but maybe you know, and what is Buffy? You know, but we always started with, um, you know, what was a character's journey and how, and then sort of worked our way into the genre parts of it. Hmm. But it always started with us really talking about what it was like to be in high school, really personal. And I think the reason. Uh, you know, I did well there was because I have no filter, <laughs> as you will probably learn here. Um, and and I really just you know I was I, you know and I I would say things that everybody in the room would kind of be like whoa she she said that <laughs> you know so and Joss um, appreciated somebody especially a woman who would just go there with him and and be as as raw as he wanted it to be as the he wanted the show to be and. Um, uh, you know, and I was not known. I was known for punching things down. Uh, that's sort of my <laughs> my specialty. I like to take something funny and just you know fuck it. Um, <laughs> um, so uh, that wasn't really why I was there. I, I you know, but I I, I learned uh, you know occasionally to be mildly amusing. That was sort of my forte. And then, um, but I also did a lot of the more you know the more sort of melodramatic, you know, um, intensely girly. Like, the, at, at conventions, the girls who come up to me are always the ones with, like, you know, like, all in black and, you know, like lots of eyeliner. And they're like, I almost killed myself so many times. The times that it didn't work, it was because of you. <laughs> and I'd be like, yeah, I feel you. You know, I wrote a lot of stuff about suicide before I got to Buffy. So. No, but it was. It was really special. Um, he was really special. He was... Um, the thing that I learned from Joss that um, I have <laughs> never quite emulated on a show, but I, I aspire to, is that he he had enough self-confidence. The, the thing I see with showrunners who I feel like torture their writers is usually because they don't feel as good about their own writing as as they should. Usually they're incredibly talented, but they're, um, you know, they don't feel that. So they get scared when other people are good at their jobs, and they tend to then need to somehow humiliate them <laughs> or make them cry um, or, you know, whatever it is. Like there's there's a there's a ritual at a lot of these shows of like, I still need to feel like only I can do this. And I don't think that's necessarily true. In some cases it is. I've been on some shows where like, you, only you can do this. You know, like, it's true. But um, with Joss, after we learned, um, 
you know, kind of how to, to take his voice and do it in our voice and, and, and make the show work for us, he really didn't rewrite us just to feel like, you know, the man. Um, so we got a, a sense of, you know, we had a sense of ownership um, of, of part of it. It was always Joss, but we all got to feel like we didn't suck, which, you know, it, it, it adds to morale. It yeah, does, I, yeah, no, be, being proud of the work yeah, goes a long weird. way when for you feel a like staff. you had something to do with it. You really care and, and you stay late and you work hard. Yeah. And, and, and yeah, we learned a lot. And, and all that has held me in such good stead. I, you know, it really has. Oh, that's great. Yeah, and I, but I wonder uh, now to move on a little bit about uh, coming out of that. Oh, yeah. And, uh, you know, you, you had a couple of jobs just briefly on uh, Prison Break, and then there was something else. It was else on Still Life, a still show life, that yeah. was still born, never got on TV. <laughs> you yeah. know, was this like, to go back to the analogy, was this like going from Hogwarts to community college? What, yeah. <laughs> what I, I, was that transition like for you? It was kind of like getting thrown out of a speeding car, you know? <laughs> it was just like, because I did not know how the business worked. I mean, mm-hmm. we were on a show where we got... We had our little niche, you know, mm-hmm. on the network. We pulled, no matter what, we pulled an awesome eight share, which now would be a hit, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was nothing we could do to move the dial. And, and so, um, you know, and we never got invited to the party. So we were just doing our own thing. Yeah. And, um, and obviously it took off in kind of a, a, a pop culture way. So we were secure. We could do the shows as long as we wanted. And all I had to say when the network called and said, God, just Spike have to be having sex with her from behind on the balcony, and I'd be like, Joss really likes it. (laughs) And they'd go, click, you know. um, And that was it. I had the 800-pound gorilla, and I didn't even have to tell him that I'd done that. I'd just be like, you know, I got the gorilla. Happy. Um, So, uh, and that was it. I mean, we amused ourselves. Um, and we got some talk back, obviously, from the internet, which that was just sort of starting the the whole yeah. phenomena. I mean, we don't we didn't have what we have now. Like I work a couple of days a week on Glee, and people are in the room going, "Oh, they didn't like that." You know, it, like six o'clock on Tuesday while it's airing, yeah. you know, they're watching the Twitter feed, and it's crazy. Way. You know, like oh, score. You know, and you're just <laughs> like, really, we're we're gonna be in real time with this? You know. <laughs> Which is, I guess, what you, you know, a, a player, a movie is. But for us, it's a new phenomenon. Yeah. You know, like hearing the reaction as it happens. So, yeah. so yeah. One of our writers on uh, Dan O'Shannon d- dubbed it Google Mirth, where you watch, <laughs> like for us, it was the jokes. Google so you, you'd watch it like go from East Coast to West to <laughs> Central Time Zone, and it's like, and we're all like, oh, that was my joke. I told you that would work. And, you, know, uh, you know, it's uh, all the way going down the list. Yeah, we do that. Google too. Mirth. Yeah. yeah. That actually leads me to another question, which I was going to cover later, but we can cover now. Uh, Tell me about the room on uh, Modern Family. How collaborative is it? How much do you own a script? It's mostly me. (laughs) Right. We figured. I mean, all the good stuff comes from me. (laughs) Mostly. You know, it's it's very collaborative. I mean, I think all comedy rooms are. I think that you get a lot of ownership in these scripts. I mean, the show's run in sort of a... It's a very kind of interest. It's it's unique flavor is this is that it's sort of there's two show creators, uh, uh, Steve Levitan and Chris Lloyd, both incredibly tall and handsome guys. I don't know why they're funny. Um, and uh, and and uh, it does. I would I would. By the way, if I were like five percent more handsome, I would be such a drip. I would not even try. I do not understand it. But uh, the uh, but what happens is. 
you know, Chris runs basically all of the odd numbered episodes and, and Steve runs all the even ones with the stage. So we do these sort of two separate shows um, as, as they're going on. And the one huh. the, the thing that's sort of consistent through the show is the writing staff and um, and the actors. And so it's all sort of filtered through as it goes. I mean, not that they don't work together in the room as we're going, but it's just for for expediency wow. sake. Uh, but we, we do have a lot of autonomy, but you're rewritten. It, it sort of depends. I mean, I, I, I think all of the writers are rewritten in direct proportion to how bad a job we as a room have done um, breaking the story initially. Like if we, if, we, if we sort of come up with that story, which we all do together, and, um, and that story is sound um, from the get-go um, – Frequently, we have a lot of really good writers, and they will be able to have, take a lot of ownership in their stuff, and it won't get redone. Because and uh, you know, it's a it's a it's a pretty um it's a pretty elite crew of writers there, so they're going to get the jokes, and they're going to get the dialogue, and um and and they're going to get that. It's sort of fundamental story uh, uh, problems, but we break the stories together, and then a writer will go out on an outline, and then that outline will come back, and then we'll. Go, we'll all dive in again together and, and pick apart that outline. That's happening less and less now. We're trying to break them. But, well, you know, we'll, 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 we'll go through. And then uh, a writer will take as much time as we can allow, which will be, you know, sometimes a week, sometimes two weeks, sometimes. I mean, I, I, I had to write a script last year in um, – I, I think I have the record right now in 36 hours. So I did that. And, yeah, I, 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 and it started a tradition of me checking into a hotel to write a script. I basically did. I have three kids. And, um, and, it was, um, uh, and, uh, and then that script will come back, and we will rewrite that as a group. The cast will read it, and we'll go, oh, God, Gloria's not that funny here, or oh, this isn't that funny here, and so-and-so. And then we'll rewrite it again, and, and, and that's how it works. And how many of those rewrites does it usually go through? Whew. Um, well, it, uh, it's hard. It really depends. I, 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 you know, we've, there, there are some that, I, you know, I have some, I have a few scripts that have gone to the table, you know, pretty intact. I have others where, you know, I have more recognizable material that I can claim in someone else's draft mm-hmm. than I do in a current draft of my own. Yeah. And it just depends. Sure. Yeah. And do you guys do, as in a traditional three camera, do you do a lot of tweaking on the fly? We uh, tweak a little. Shoot? You know, the writer follows his ep- or her episode okay. all throughout. So we'll be on the stage and on location. And we will um, occasionally tweak. I mean, it's not quite like that multi-camera thing, which I love. <laughs> I love when the, the I, I don't, I don't, begrudge multi-camera at all i know it's gotten a bad rap lately but there is something fun about putting on that play and there as a you know again from a pure comedy adrenaline standpoint there's that moment like in a live studio audience and when a joke doesn't work and it just dies and as much as you want to say oh those audience busting from pacoima they don't know what they're but you know when a joke doesn't work pacoima by the way is great i don't i nothing i don't know why i said pacoima i've never been to pacoima uh, but uh, this is a very local podcast. Yeah, yeah. Don't worry. <laughs> uh, but there, there's that fun moment of like the audience is waiting, the joke isn't there, and the writers all huddle, and it's like who's going to come up with the joke? And there's like you know that for some of us it's like that's a real challenge. And then you tell that you come up with that joke, if that inspiration hits, and then it does it, and it kills for the audience, and they appreciate it. Um, single camera is slightly different, but we do have scenes that don't work. I did an episode um, uh, first season. Um, where um, they were, uh, it was it was a scene that was taking place. We were shooting at the um, uh, Mitch, Jay, and Manny were out looking at the stars. It was a, a episode called Starry Night, and there was a scene between Mitchell and Manny um, where uh, he was trying to 
build him up. And the scene as we had it just didn't work. And so we have this crew. We're out in Temescal Canyon. It's like 10 at night. And the scene doesn't work. And I'm there with Chris Lloyd. And Chris Lloyd, we just got a picnic table and like a Coleman lantern on a yellow loose leaf pad. And we wrote the scene. We just sort of like talked out the scene. We had everybody wait about 20 minutes. And we kind of like just freeform the scene, brought uh, Jesse in because he had to do it. was basically a monologue. And it, uh, to this day, it's one of my favorite scenes in an episode I've done. So, you know, so it's, uh, it's exciting. That's amazing. Um, Craig. Let's talk uh, briefly about uh, Breaking In. How did you get your start in this industry? Uh, you know, we saw some of the early credits on Invisible Man, but what, what came before that? Where are you from? What, uh, what is your background as a writer and a consumer of television and just of entertainment, of writing in general? Um, There's a lot to cover there. Yeah. <laughs> you have one minute. To respond. Okay. <laughs> Take your time. Um, Raiders of the Lost Ark. Uh, aliens. Um, the um, oh, I, although I think it was it was it was Ghostbusters that um, where I, I always wanted to write. Uh, I think books maybe, um, and uh, but it was Ghostbusters, and I was ten. And I was walking out of Ghostbusters, and I said to my mom, like, I want to write movies, um, and then I forgot about that for a while. Um, for how long? For you know until maybe Silverado. Which was like the next year, um, and then I, that was like I want to direct movies. I know, is it Ram Silverado? It's, it's come up a few times, it actually. Does, yeah, as being an influence. Silverado's awesome. I'm yeah. Yeah. yeah, go check it out. You've never seen Silverado? Silverado. No. Oh, dude. It's good. Okay, it's like you're like. It's not Ghostbusters. That's why you're at where you're at. Um, no, there was, a, but there was a joke in Silverado where Kevin Klein comes back into town and he's like sees the guy who stole his horse and his hat and he's in his long underwear and he buys a gun that doesn't work and he's trying to piece it together and this guy's riding at him and shooting at him and the bullet goes through his long underwear like right below his balls now i was 11 so i was like you know it was very funny and the audience laughed (laughs) and and i looked at the audience i looked at the screen and i remember thinking like that's a joke that only a movie could do and it was also not just funny it was scary at the same time it was uh it was cool. Um, <laughs> but, um, uh, so yeah, I went to, um, uh, I, I grew up in Michigan. Uh, I uh, went to the University of Michigan uh, to, to write movies. Um, there was a wonderful teacher there, uh, Jim Bernstein, who was a working screenwriter. They wrote uh, Renaissance Man, uh, Mighty Ducks 3. <laughs> you know? That was a big influence he's on me. Good, yeah, he's a good writer. <laughs> and... Um, and uh, I, I came out here right after that with two scripts that I had written there. Uh, one was a big fantasy thing. One was a dark comedy. Both features. Both feature scripts. Mm-hmm. And uh, with my friend Dave uh, Nadelberg, oh. who I think is out there, who uh, runs <laughs> nice. a stage show. In big round of applause uh, big, for Dave. Uh, That's great. And, uh, well, yeah, we came out A lot of Nadelberg fans. And we had, um, uh, what was it, like 97? We had like CB radios. This is before cell phones. Or before you could... <laughs> Before you should own a cell phone, like when it was bad. <laughs> and then, um, uh, you know, just months of unemployment, you know. Uh, and then. What uh, did you do during that unemployed time? Were you uh, trying to turn out more product or were you looking for a job? I was looking for a job, uh, trying to figure out why I came out, I, mm-hmm. you know, uh, because it was like a mistake. Like I didn't know. I knew people who were of my, you know, level, mm-hmm. like just had come out. One of them eventually got a job and then would call and say, hey, there's a PA job open here. And, you know, so we started that way. I worked different um, things and then at THX for a little while. And then um, 
it was that same script, though. That I think the, instru- the, the important part of this is the same script I wrote um, in college eventually got me a job. I mean, at first it got, I got optioned uh, for $200 uh, nice. to a producer <laughs> who had her, who had her uh, office over a fabric store on Pico. Uh, <laughs> I went to interview for her assistant, and I didn't get that job, but I told her, you know, I sent her my script. And, um, and then, like, a year after that, Somebody read it, and uh, a friend got it to a friend who was Brian Singer's assistant. Brian Singer wanted to produce it for um, his buddy. He didn't want to direct it, but wanted to produce it for his buddy, his high school buddy, uh, to direct. <laughs> and but just because of that little tiny thing of Brian Singer liked the script, uh, that's how I got an agent. Um, a year after that, uh, and in between, this is like nothing, you know, happening. Um, a year after that... Um, uh, that same script got to Matt Greenberg, who had, it was a feature writer who had created the show The Invisible Man. Mm-hmm. And uh, I came in and I pitched him four stories. And uh, he wanted to buy two of them. And uh, they ended up hiring me as a staff writer, on a, a term writer, they call it, on a six-week trial basis. Oh, that's and, that's, uh, and that kind of got you going from that there. Got that's me, amazing. That got me in. That's a, that's a lot that's of work to put in. six-week trial. Right. <laughs> Well, but, you know, you obviously did the hard work beforehand, you know. Yeah. Uh, did you know, when you went in to meet on Invisible Man, you went to pitch stories, was the, the show was already up and running? No. H- had they it, had it hadn't a two-hour backdoor pilot, as okay. they like to do. On the, it was on the sci-fi before it was with Wise in it. Okay. Channel. <laughs> um, Back when they knew what they were. Yeah, they knew what they were. <laughs> Nobody knows now. That they really fooled people. Um, but uh, they... Um, you know, I, I wasn't thinking about TV. I didn't think, I mean, I watched yeah. TV all my life. I didn't really know, um, you know, the structure and, and, you know, and all that stuff. And, um, you know, I learned, I learned that there. By the end of the second year, I directed an episode. I mean, wow. it was a huge, it was an awesome, That's amazing. awesome experience. That's great. How, how big was the staff there? Do you recall? The staff was small yeah, and it kept changing. Be. I mean, within two, ep- two, three episodes, Matt Greenberg left the show uh, the other producers, the executive producer they brought on to run it with him left the show. The supervising producers left the show. And it was just me for a second. <laughs> the first, the, the, I remember this moment, the this whole writer. staff turned to me and they were like, and I was, don't look at me. Um, they brought in uh, a veteran, veteran, grizzled veteran, uh, <laughs> a guy named David Levinson, who uh, just righted the ship and we never even shut down. Wow. And uh, basically taught me what I know, you know, about and, and encouraged me and brought me everything. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah. Uh, Danny, let's move, move down here. Uh, tell us about breaking in. You said you were a variety writer, a joke writer. Were you a funny kid? Well, <laughs> I, you know, I, I, I'm not a, yeah, I think I was. Um, it was like as a sort of, you know, it was, it, I think it all fundamentally was like, I, I, I don't throw like um, my, a lot of, guys do i throw in a weird way and i don't i don't move well so i I discovered early like funny i mean i i always thought this is a kind of this was the story and it really is a true story i'm five years old my grandfather is a in the summers a bartender i'm like also i had like the least jewy background like i had a christmas tree i wasn't really aware of my judaism until a kid like I was ten. Until the jokes came out. No, a kid. <laughs> I, 
I, I just, yeah, I, maybe that was part of it. I, I remember a kid from West Orange, New Jersey, like, you know, was like Jew, and I was like, I am not, and like, I beat him up, and then, and then, and then found out I was, and, and felt guilty about it, so clearly, uh, I was Jewish. No, but I'm five years old, my grandfather, five years old, totally secular Jew, um, my grandfather, though, happens to be a bartender in the summers in the Catskills um, in, uh, in upstate New York. I grew up in New Jersey, and, and this is in upstate New York. And I'm in, the, I'm in his bar there, and I meet a comedian. Um, I even remember his name. He was like this old-timey guy. His name was Van Harris. How's that for like an old-timey <laughs> comedian name? And he was like – and he became like Uncle Van. Like he always said Uncle Van. And he started – would tell me jokes, and he'd give me a joke to say. And I was like, what – and he told me that there was this job – Called comedian, that that and that you were you were you, basically your job was to make people laugh, and I it was it was it was such a light bulb moment for me because I I, I had this I, I looked at my own father at the time and I looked at other people I knew who did jobs and I couldn't figure out why they would do anything other than that. It didn't. It didn't you, I wanted to say to my father, "There's this other job where you could tell jokes or write jokes and people will love you and you'll be accepted and you'll meet girls." And 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 uh, um, and, and and he. Uh, but but so that was really yeah. So I was and I was you know I was I was you know very. I, everything I did early on, like I ran for school office, you know, in high school, simply so I could test out stand-up. And it won. Like I won my school office because I did a, I did a really tight 10. Um, uh, and I went to Syracuse University uh, where I majored in, in acquiring addictions. And, um, and, and, but got out of school and I PA, like I, you know, I, I, I was, I, I did the PA route and I, I wound up, you know, being out of school and working Howard Stern, of all people, was doing – he had just been fired from NBC and was doing these – the series of pilots for Fox that Fox had just become Fox. They never aired. He shot five, and I was a PA on that show and met some people there. Those, those went down, made some friends uh, um, for life. And, was, uh, was the goal at this time, by the time – you know, you, now you're out here and you're working on these things, was it to – be a writer or to be a performer? No, you know, I got a, I was a performer through college mm-hmm. and I was terrible. I was such a hack. And I, cause <laughs> I didn't write uh, ironically enough. And it was like, I started doing stand up when I was 16. And a lot of the, my jokes were about being in high school and that was sort of my <laughs> angle. But I was like, I was like, like a little, Jer- I was like doing Jerry Seinfeld's act, but not funny. And, um, <laughs> and, uh, um, I got out of co- – but that was enough. Like I could get money to go to spring break and I could you know, I'd go around and I'd get money in college and I was funny amongst my friends. I got out of college and said, oh, I'll just break out the old actor to write and you know, went and was at you know, the improv in New York and did a gig. And I was bombing and I just I, – I hated it. It's just like, I was like, oh, I suck at this. Um, and uh, so my goal was to become – you know, okay. I wanted to get on staff and maybe – So you knew by that time. I did. I mean I always kept in mind I would perform. Mm-hmm. I was recently on an episode of um, – of, uh, Modern family. Oh yes, Twitter lit up. Yeah, it was crazy. <laughs> it's like I can't go anywhere now. Um, um, but I, you know, I came out here. I worked on a show called uh, as a PA for that. I met somebody I met at, uh, at Howard Stern. A show called the Wilton North Report, which was this. It was this. It was vague. It was like sort of like a precursor to the Daily Show. Like if the, you made the Daily Show suck. That's what this was. But I met some people there, which eventually, after the writers' strike, led to a job as sort of a production coordinator on the Arsenio Hall show, which was my first real, my, my first real gig. After 13 weeks on the Arsenio Hall show, um, he fired 
uh, half the writing staff and didn't replace them right away. So I basically got in early and stayed late and wrote jokes. And, you know, every night I'd go home and write jokes. Every morning I'd go home and write jokes. And there were some friends. I became friendly with some of the writers. I would hear my jokes, just, you know, pass them in. And really, after a couple of weeks, I was writing the monologue. And Arsenio called me up and, and, and said, you know, called me into his office. It's like, I, can, I can't take your jokes and continue. Like, either I have to fire you or hire you. Right. And, uh, and, uh, who was uh, who were the writers on that staff? What kind of background did they have? On Arsenio Hall? Yeah. It's very diverse. A lot of whom are not working right mm-hmm. now. Um, one of whom was uh, t- it was uh, an interesting fellow because he's I've gone into some great success and it taught me a lot about like I learned the lesson later, but there was a writer there who while he was there, he was older than me, he's about 10 years older than I was and um uh was always working on something else. Like, always was like, this is not going to last. And he was always, this kind of thing is just, like, variety is, like, it's good, it's a, but that's, there's very few people who will make that a career, and if you want to do something more, you should do it. And he was very, very avuncular guy, and I've always considered him a good friend. And he was writing, and he was writing, he had a friend, this guy named uh, Larry David, who he knew, um, and who was doing the show, um, with Jerry Seinfeld, who I didn't particularly wasn't a fan of, and he's like, I'm going to go do that, and you, and, and he wound up it's, it, the writer I'm talking about is Larry Charles, um, <laughs> um, who um, you know eventually became this big director and all that, and was but was like you know was absolutely right about about you know what, what just you know you can get caught in these traps where you're sort of writing on something, and I, I have friends who are like writing on shows, what I would call interim shows for them, if it's like whether it's a Disney show or it's a show that they, if, I mean maybe that's the final destination for them and they like that and that's great, but if they want to do something else, to keep writing through those things, sure, um, sure. and it pays the insurance, so yeah, it definitely <laughs> does, yeah, absolutely. Um, so how did you make the leap from Variety to? Uh, I did a spec. I mean, I did. I, I took Larry's really? advice, and I wound up writing. Uh, I wound up writing two specs. I wrote, I wrote a spec Seinfeld, and I wrote a spec Simpsons, and um, and. Um, and this was when the best thing to do was to write a spec of without a, a show that was on the air. Yeah, I mean that's the spec or the spec pilot. That's like you know that's the lottery ticket. I mean you 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 and the more you write, the more lottery tickets you have. And so mm-hmm. I I wound up writing those two. And they came, they went across the desk. They were looking for um, it was Evening Shade with Burt Reynolds and they, they, um, this, the writer there. The guy was running it. A guy by the name of Victor Fresco, who has since you know gone on to create um, uh, Andy Richter controls the universe and Better Off Ted and and became one of most importantly, um, I think he would say I became friends with him. Um, <laughs> and uh, um, but you know he liked my specs and and that was my ticket in. Really, since then I I, I haven't looked back. And did you have one of those seasons where you went around and? Met everyone who was uh, on doing sitcoms at that time and tried to staff, or was this? Did it come pretty quickly? Uh, this, you know, I went through interim times. Like I had left Arsenio Hall to do like this, like sort of HBO, this weird show with a friend of mine, and that died. And I was at, and, and the baby talk thing that I was telling you about, right. <laughs> and that died. And um, Arsenio actually took me back for a little oh. bit uh, with the with the caveat that you have to stay for a year. And so six months later, I got the job on Evening Shade. Right? Um, but uh, um, uh, you broke Arsenio's uh, yeah, heart. I did. I did. Oh, poor guy. Yeah. yeah. So he's never recovered. No, he's never recovered. <laughs> and then that kind of got you rolling. I mean, once you get those early and once credits, you, got that, you know, I got yeah. I got those early credits, and I, you know, and you know, the, I I think I did a good job. And you know, there's if you can, you know crank out comedy and in a good way and be good, you'll you'll work. Well, and we'll talk about the specifics of that in a minute. Uh, but Marty, 
You say that Buffy was your first experience being on a TV show. Where where had you been before that? Where did you come from? <laughs> where <and> indeed? <laughs> what uh, what were your um, early influences? Just being depressed. And, um, it's funny. I was sitting here and I was like, oh God, you know, there's these two guys. That's why I'm not funny. <laughs> I'm a wasp. <laughs> it only I'm works for funny. a few. <laughs> um, your parents I'm probably very, liked you. Very very Jew. <laughs> I'm but very, very it. Jew adjacent um, <laughs> now. Yes. Um, um, so, what, so early yes, on, uh, when did you know you wanted to become a writer? I, or have you figured it out? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, I grew up here in Los Angeles. Um, my dad is a documentary filmmaker, and he did a bunch of the National Geographic specials, like the ones about the whales and the ones about the sharks. And the, you know, back in those days, there was one. There was one geographic special every six months, and it was on network television, and kind of everything stopped, you know. Um, so uh, he seemed really fancy to me, and he would go away for a long, you know, long bits of time. And, um, and so I kind of got the bug, and I went to school in Santa Monica with, like, famous people's kids, you know. And, um, you know, uh, um, so I, I was definitely had, like, the glamour bug. I was, you know, I would, I would sneak on to lots and pretend to be an extra, you know. Like, that was, like, I thought that was really um, bold and it was going to be part of my story. And, um, uh, but, um, you know, I mean, uh, to staying true to my, um, my roots, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll say that I had a pretty rough um, upbringing and um, my mom was bipolar and, um, there was a lot of stuff that I checked out for, and I think the place I went was, you know, into this total fantasy world, and um, and that felt very safe to me. So I started acting, and um, and I, you know, I was medium at that. I I, I was, um, but I but I I loved it, you know, and I loved that um, getting to disappear. That that part of it where I actually got to be someone else was awesome because me was sort of sucking at that point, um, and. Um, so uh, I didn't really – it was the kind of thing where literally somebody read my palm when I was 11 or 12, and they're like, oh, you're going to be a writer. For, ooh, and then they were like, first you're going to have a couple of years where you're like lost years. <laughs> like, <laughs> like literally, like I don't know what's going to happen there, but eventually you're going to be a writer. And I was like, oh, really? It's so boring. And um, so – and people would, would say that to me. They'd read stuff that I'd written, and they'd be like, you know, you really – you know, you, you shouldn't – shouldn't be an actor <laughs> um really um and what kind but, of stuff when you were a teenager and then in college were you writing oh god was it first of all was it prose oh i wrote like awful po- like you know like awful poetry like you know <laughs> mother <laughs> why you with two faces you know that kind of <laughs> all right keep going <laughs> Exactly. Uh, Showtime option, that poem. Yeah, yeah, exactly. No, actually, the play that Joss read was about, um, about women and madness. Um, <laughs> well, that's what I was going to ask you. Like, what was the first thing that you yeah. created that sort of got passed well, around you know, or got so some anyway, attention? Well, you know, so anyway, yeah, but, you know, same as, as Craig, not work, not work. Um, <laughs> and then eventually someone read a script that I wrote um, just to get out of college, like I had to do. I was in the theater arts sure. program, and um and they thought there was something there, and so that was kind of like again, it was like people saying like, "Oh, you should try this." And um, so then I decided to try it, and um, I uh, I ended up doing coverage, that kind of thing, and um, uh, working as a waitress. And there was a guy who came in all the time who uh, 
one day I, I was giving him his burger and um, I said, how is it? And I, and he was like, oh, the burger's all, yeah, it's all right. And I was like, no, how's the script? You know, you're reading. And, and he, uh, and he was like, hmm. And we had this conversation and, um, and after a while he said like, you're not just a waitress, are you? And I was like, no, I've been trying to write and a lot of that, you know, and a uh, mother. <laughs> I have learned uh, the, the art of the callback. That's true. I, <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Brilliant execution. Thank you. Um, <laughs> um, Be careful. Don't overplay it. No, no. I, there, okay. Well, that's a whole other thing. Um, how many times before it becomes funny again? So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> but um, so he uh, like he was like, well, my name is Rick Rosenthal and I'm a director and I directed this movie Bad Boys with Sean Penn. And I was like, sure, you did. You know, like totally didn't believe him. And he was like, he was like, why don't you come in and tell me some stories about being a waitress? Because we have this show Life Goes On with Corky um, and it's set in a restaurant and you should come to my office at Warner Brothers Studios. And I was like, the big show. And he's like, <laughs> and he's like, well, yes, that's really who I am. But I did not believe him. I thought he was trying to, like, you know, do the waitress, you know. Um, and turned out he was, like uh, all of us, we have these people at a certain point, you know, luck or time, you know, whatever luck is. Um, you, you meet these people, and they turn out to be somebody who changes your life, you know. And that was Rick. He um, he hired me as his uh, development assistant. I had no idea what that meant. I was just like, do, do I take meant? your film to the to the Kodak? I mean, what am I? What is this job? And was I, it just to have you around and immerse you in the the uh, he, atmosphere? He just gave you know he gave me my first you know. Oh. Thing to be, you know, and I kind of knew that I would love to to do any kind of job, but I just felt completely unprepared, and um, and I was. I mean, being a de- I was the worst development um, executive ever, having also been the worst agent at one point. I was drinking a lot, and I I would drive this car that my folks had given me that I just I, it was my drunk car, so it was fully banged up, and it had like a whole bunch of my empties in the back. And at one point, somebody had this. I'm an agent, and somebody. Um, Somebody had broken into my car, and they were, like, kind of living there for a while. And so I, <laughs> was, I had to start it with a screwdriver because they'd, like, pop the lock. So I, I was being an agent, and um, I, I pulled up to, like, some fancy restaurant, and I was late. And usually I didn't use the valet because of the car, but I, 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 I was late, so I, ha- I handed the screwdriver to the valet. And my client was walking right up at that moment. <laughs> And I was like, hi. So um, not good at agenting because I had no, again, no filter, no front. Um, Did you represent actors? Was No, I was a, I was a writer's agent. A writer's agent? Yeah. <laughs> um, so cutting to the chase, uh, which I haven't done at all. Um, uh, I worked on that show. I sold a script. And then I didn't sell anything for seven years. Um, and I, I always tell that part because, um, you know, I had suddenly I'd had the ticket like it was supposed to happen and I was but I was really young and I wasn't very good yet mm-hmm. I mean I just had someone who loved me who wanted me to write you know Rick Rick sort of muscled a script for me um, but the truth was I really hadn't found my voice yet I, I hadn't I hadn't made the leap um, from writing generically and imitating to actually taking the risk to say things that that might um, might expose me in a way mm. And, and, and the reason I bring that up is because I feel like I had this kind of intense upbringing, but what that resulted in is that I was writing stuff that was very false. It was always sort of like, and then everything ends up happy. <laughs> and um, it was always very, um, 
it was just sort of these idealized kind of, I love genre, so I was writing this sort of fantasy stuff, but it was all a little empty. And I also had this idea that I was going to sell. This was the time of like the, the log line, the one line. You know, like, you know, um, die hard on a, you know, in a supermarket, die hard in a nunnery, you know. And, and by the way, Joss Whedon was selling all those scripts and I fucking hated him. I'd see his, I'd see his you know, name and variety and I'd be like, God damn him, that, you know, wonder kid, you know. Like, who is this jerk? So, um, so, yeah, it took a while before I finally realized that I was being very, um, I wasn't taking any risks. Mm-hmm. So in that interim... Uh, in those next seven years, yeah. did you start to learn how to take those risks in your writing? Yeah, I mean, it took a long time. It, it really, mm-hmm. I really wrote poorly. I wrote very, very poorly for a long time, and um, you know, mediumly because then I'd get encouragement, like some little thing, and I, <laughs> I had this kind of like, um, you know, epiphany at one point because uh, I. I had turned 30 and nothing had happened <laughs> and my friends were doctors um, or, you know, like they were, they had houses and spouses and I had none of, the, I had no spouses, I had nothing, you know, um, and I, I was in debt, you know, the, the money I'd made on that one script went to, you know, stupid stuff, you know, um, and so uh, I was going to quit and I was going to go do what I think all writers think they should do if they're not going to be writers. I was going to be shrink. (laughs) (laughs) Do as I say, not as I have done. Um, And I was filling out the application for grad school and I I finally, I just realized that I actually had turned into a writer because I couldn't imagine, I wasn't doing it because people thought I should be doing it. I was doing it because I couldn't imagine doing anything else anymore, and I didn't want to. So then I had this kind of reversal of thinking, which was instead of writing to sell, I was going to try to find an audience because I didn't know if my my material worked at all. It only went to development executives. It only went to people who would give me a meeting and be like, wow, you're kind of talented. I don't know. know." And it was a lot of times like lower-level people who just needed a meeting, so they'd be like, you know what I mean? It had that sense of like futility, like nothing was going to happen. And I, um, I, I'd only read coverage of my stuff, which is also a frustrated writer. I was the person writing coverage on somebody else's script, and then I knew what I was thinking. I was thinking, like, fuck you, you who you know, got something made, you know? Um, and so then I'd be like, I'd be, you know, that was the only feedback I ever had. Mm-hmm. So I, um, my next goal just became, I started writing plays, because I thought, if I can get in front of an audience and see if any of this is connecting, but also I have to tell the truth, and I have to start writing about things that feel risky to me or mm-hmm. frightening, and that... Those plays were what got me got me on Buffy. So what were those? Were they personal? Did they have uh, yeah. genre? Did they have genre <laughs> trappings? Um, yeah, the one that I wrote um, that that Joss read was um, getting workshopped uh, with the LA um, Actor Studio, mm-hmm. and it was all fraught and melodramatic, and it was called Turn of the Wheel, and it was a, it was about. Um, you know, a, a woman. It was about my mother um, and uh, and being all crazy. And the great thing about that was I was so afraid to write it because it was so full of all this stuff. And um, and uh, my mom came to the stage reading, and and she, you know, about halfway through, she just started going, <laughs> <laughs> you know. And my mom is a really loud crier, so she was like, <laughs> and then she um, came up to me afterwards, and she was like, ah, I just want to know how you know that much about my mother. and i was like safe like oh my god like you can write 
about anything because people don't see themselves. And it freed me up. I've never, I've written some dead on, like, that's you, mother, you know? And people are just like, oh, I'm glad I'm not like that guy, you know? You're like, yeah. That's amazing. Um, I'm curious about, and that's really interesting because it seems like that's the kind of stuff, at least emotionally, that you were able to take into your years on Buffy. And then, you know, I don't know how much you've been able to mine that in the the subsequent years, but I'm sure it's quite a bit. Uh, And I'm curious about that for you guys. Um, And Craig, let's start with you. But, you know, you've worked on staff for a number of shows uh, and created a couple of your own. Um, And in both instances, were you able to bring yourself to these experiences, you know, when you're on a sci-fi show like Invisible Man or The Dead Zone, you know, how much of your personal experience can you put in there? How much can you look at it and say, that, that's me, that's my story in any particular script? Um, I think, yeah, a lot. You, you, you do have to put yourself into it. Um, I, uh, I would find writing was my way to reveal myself without actually... Uh, doing it, um, I tried to write a script about my experience of my friends kind of growing up, and uh, I only got to page forty. I stopped I, uh, because I realized I was protecting myself, my character in it too much, and so I was like oh i, I, can't, I guess i can 't write this um, or one day i 'll learn to be you know more clear eyed about it and um, but so what I do is I try to figure out ways to like if i um, I have a lot of you know, if a fight with my sister, you know, for example, and I'll make, it'll be crazy. It'll be science fiction. It'll be, you know, this monster and this other thing, but that's about my sister, like for sure, you know? And, um, you know, I, um, I mean, not that it does, uh, but, um, uh, you know, so I, I always, um, try to put myself on it almost like to the point where only I'm the one who's going to know it. Um, but uh, you can cover it in layers of whatever that yeah. genre is, or whatever the whatever the genre is. Those specific and there's also are. images and 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 cool moves or whatever that like <laughs> I've had stockpiled for years, you know. And I'm always looking for a way to get them in. And when I was on staff on a show, I'd be like, maybe this. There's this like one or two set pieces that I've continued to try to get into scripts, and even on my own shows, and, and they never and I, it, they just don't work. I mean, they work, they work, but they just don't work for the story. Mm-hmm. So I keep. Uh, they're, but they're there. One day they'll be used. So. <laughs> well, maybe we can talk a little specifically about Nikita. <clears throat> Excuse me. When you went to pitch that show, uh, were you, you were brought in to pitch on the idea? Uh, How did it work? Uh, it, we were like trying to find something to do. And I was pitching them ideas. They were pitching me ideas. Um, and we were both going, no. And, um, and for a while, it was actually going to be Tomb Raider. Um, I went out and got the rights to, to Tomb Raider as a TV show, and it was pretty awesome, uh, like a young Lara Croft type of thing. But um, they, uh, they were like, this is going to be too expensive. <laughs> um, and so they were like, how about um, Nikita? And I was like, oh, yeah. I'm, you know, mm-hmm. I like that. And then, you know, try to, I was just about process there about trying to figure out a way to do it that was new, that was a way I hadn't seen before. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and how do you recall what those conversations were, or did you go yeah. and figure it out on yourself and took it to them? Well, the first thing I said was that what's well, for the CW. They, they, it was definitely not like it was so late in the the development season that they mm-hmm. were like, this is targeted for them. They're looking for something like this. Um, and I said, well, if it's a CW, like it's going to be kind of a dark show. Like she's going to kill people. It's not going to be Gossip Girl with a gun. Like they've got to be okay with that. They called them up and said that, she, that she's going to kill people. And they're like, okay. 
And so I was like, all right, at least I've said it because if they, you know, go back on that. Um, and then, then it was a process of finding out how to do it. Um, it cracking it for me came down to the, the two-girl approach, that there was uh, Nikita after the movie, after she had left the agency, kind of like on the run, like born. And then there was this other younger character that kind of earned the franchise, um, you know, the things that I thought earned the title, which mm-hmm. were being a druggie and pulled off the streets and, you know, pulled into, off death row into this uh, spy organization. Um, but you didn't know this girl. So you didn't know what her backstory was. You didn't know if she was going to take the same steps as Nikita. Mm-hmm. Um, for a while, it was a parallel story. They weren't even connected. It was like they're going to meet one day, you know? Um, and that the network pushed back on. They didn't understand how it would be just, you know, it would feel like totally two different shows. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's where, uh, it, through that pushing back, I came up with the idea that they were, she was, the young woman was Nikita's mole within the mm-hmm. agency. Hmm. And, you know, to go back to the original question, is this a story that only you could have come up with? You know, is there is there a certain Craigness to this Nikita, uh, this take on Nikita? You know, I um, I think that there probably in the original um, incarnation of uh, Terra Nova, there was probably more of that. Yeah, just in the um, just the sheer imagination and and. sci-fi like the the goofiness the cheesiness you know mm-hmm. um i like i like that um i had an executive at fox who i worked with for years and she after she read it she was like oh my god i can't believe that you would write something sci-fi i'm like that's what i'm into <laughs> like they thought i was just like uh you know cop guy um sure you know so um all right that makes yeah. sense uh, and i will get back to the sci-fi in a minute because i want to talk about that uh, pilot as well uh, if that's okay <laughs> uh, <laughs> hi. Uh, hi, Danny. Let's uh, <laughs> the same question. You know, yes. you've worked on a lot of these comedies. You are a guy with a family yourself, and you've worked on comedies yeah. about families. But is it the kind of thing like you hear about on the Raymond uh, staff, where they said, "If we can't come up with a story, go home and have a fight with your wife"? <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, uh, there is there's a lot of that. I mean, we, you know, I, I don't, I, you know, I've I've only been in one drama room, and it was. Uh, um, but I have found that in comedy rooms, um, I, 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 and when a comedy room is working, I genuinely like we know more about each other by the end of a season in a good way, I think, than like our spouse. Like I know things that are I know things that like husbands are feeling about their wives <laughs> on, a, on, a, on a particular day. That that their wives will never know, and 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 the same so thing. So do like, I. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and 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 so yeah. I mean, Modern Family was. You know, look. There's certain times you're, you're on a show, and you, you know, a, you know, I I've, I've worked. <laughs> this is this is the third uh, Steve Levitan show I've been associated with. So I was with on Just Shoot Me, which was which was very good, and this and Modern Family, which I think is excellent. And I was on um, on Stacked. With uh, Pam Anderson, um, so those three shows. Uh, but I, I wasn't. Uh, I, I, I there wasn't as much. I couldn't put as much of me into Pam Anderson. I want that to sound. That intentionally sounded dirty. Um, but Modern Family was such like a great. You know, I'm I'm right there with the characters. I have three children. Um, I'm I'm you know married. Um, and and we really do mine our lives and think about things. I mean, there are certain stories that come 
I mean, that are just so strictly out of our lives. And uh, can you think of anything specific to you? Yeah, (laughs) my wife's gonna kill me for this. Right there, perfect. Um, No, I had a I had a terrible I had a terrible uh, what I thought was a a kidney stone attack, which turned out to be a gallstone attack, and. The firemen and EMTs are, are in my town of Manhattan Beach are famously handsome. Like I, 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 have, I have to just say that I am utterly aware of their, of their good lookingness. And, and so I was sort of rolling around. I said, you got to call 911. I think I'm dying. It's like 2 in the morning. My wife like dutifully calls 911. And she disappears. And I'm like on the ground in my underwear. <laughs> She's going to kill me. And... Uh, and like I, she gets out, you know, and then th- there's a knock on the door, and and like she comes out, and she's dolled up for the fireman. <laughs> <laughs> she claimed, but anyway, um, she claimed she was just getting dressed. But I mean, she put some work into it. And so I, I told that, you know, I told that story, and clearly, you know, that had to happen with Phil. And and but you know, even like a lot of things, like there's been, there's been emotional things. My wife and I were like, we had to do this this thing with my daughter where. Um, you know, we have twin. I have twin girls, and so we were always like, kind of like splitting up what assignment we have to do, like at open houses. And I, my my wife was there, and it's like with my my daughter, and she's like, okay, so um, you know, tonight your dad and I are going to split up, and um, and uh, you know, vis a vis this open house. And my daughter thinks about it for a second. She says, okay, well, I probably go with you. I mean, I love dad, but I think you'll take better care of me. <laughs> Which was disturbing in that, like, it totally didn't rock her world. Like, she thought it was going to happen. And so we, we obviously had Luke uh, um, uh, make that mistake in, in taking him cars. But, you know, so much of it, and even if it isn't a specific anecdote, you know, I think our, our, our modern family for me always works when it's like, when the, the, the thing that I love more than anything when people say to me is, um, it's like you had a camera in our house. It's like when people tell me that about an episode, that we had or that like we were spying on them or that you know we were watching them that's when that's like the best thing they can tell us because we really do all of the writers i think really try and put a lot of ourselves into it i mean you know levitan has really mined his life i mean in the pilot in the pilot there's that thing where they made this deal with luke like if he shot anybody with the airsoft gun he'd have to get shot and he steve in selling the show actually showed the videotape from his own life of that moment where he shoots his little son Griffin. I've seen this thing for doing it, and it's very funny and treated lightly. And I mean, I think that that helped sell the show. It's like, oh, I get the show. That's like part of what it was. And so, so interesting. Yeah. And I, you know, I think the best comedy is, I mean, is is honest. I mean, it's 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 you know, people are goofy and they're slapstick, but underneath it, it's always about, you know, what's the honesty? What what what, sure. what party are you showing? So. Sure. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, and again, it's something that comes up yeah. very frequently here, yeah. uh, so it's a good lesson. Um, Marty, I'm sort of curious about this, the show that you co-created, uh, Point Pleasant. Uh, how did it come to be? What was your involvement uh, from the beginning? Well, uh, let me say first, it's very big in France. Um, uh-huh. <laughs> no, it's weird. Like, it, 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 it replays every once in a while on, like, chillas or chillers. Um, and... Uh, or in Europe, and then people sort of <laughs> know that I did that, which is not so good. Um, uh, it, it was the exact opposite of how you should do something, I think, is, is the truth. Um, this will be a good lesson. <laughs> <laughs> Here's a good lesson. How so? Um, 
Well, when someone says, uh, do you want to do a rewrite over the weekend um, because we need to punch up the sadness um, and the melodrama and the, you know, we need, we need you know, I, I literally did a, a project on a show once where they were like, this person's the heart, you know, the fart master and you're the heart master. <laughs> yeah, like, like he was the funny guy and I was the emotional guy. So they were like, we need emotion. And um, so um, they called me and they had me... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> they had me uh, do a, a weekend pass on 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 Point Pleasant, and that was that was it. Um, and then a little while ba- later, they came back and they said, um, "Do you want to run the show? Because we think we're going to make the pilot that you did this pass on." And I was like, mm, "No." And they were like, but "What if we backed up a truck of money?" And I was like, "Maybe, yeah, maybe I would do that." Um, and and then I was also like, "Well, it's not very good." And I don't really know what it's about. They're not going to make that show. So maybe I'll just, you know, I'll work on the pilot. And that's sort of famous last word for me. Anytime I've said, they're not going to make that. Um, cut to, you know, um, the review I'm reading and what, you know, the New York Times going. <laughs> um, because, yeah, it's, it's just the worst way to do anything, which is um, to uh, sell your soul for money. So don't do that. Um, <laughs> So you had no investment in this, no, or at I mean, least at I, the beginning. You know, at, at the beginning, it was all, it was just like I was in a deal. I felt an obligation to, and mm. my, my, you know, a really good friend of mine was producing. It was, you know, something she had come up with. And, and I thought there was good stuff in it. I just didn't think it, it wasn't, it wasn't something I mm-hmm. connected with. I, I, I knew I could write genre stuff. So I kind of, it wasn't that I phoned it in. I worked really hard to make it better, but it was just never something I would have written on my own. Mm-hmm. Um, and so then once it was ordered to series again, like, you know, they're never going to order the series. And then it, you know, it's, it's, it's on TV. Um, then I, obviously I worked really, really hard, but I also was pregnant and my daughter was born the week we went into production. Um, and, uh, you know, I, again, don't do this. Like, it's just bad. Um, and, and as much as I sort of pride myself on, on the fact that, you know, I, I have children, I have a life. Um, and I and I, I think that I'm ambitious. Like I, I feel like women too often are, are kind of you know like now I'm down to part time you know because I've started this baby food company or whatever. And it's like no, you should you know men keep their ambition you know. And why why is it so much harder for women you know? Um, but uh, but you shouldn't uh, pretend that you're in the bathroom um, you know two days after you've had your baby daughter and, you know, be looking at the promo thing on, on a, you know, secreted in computer. Like, you shouldn't be doing that. Like, um, so I did a lot of stuff that I wasn't proud of. Like, I just went back to work way too soon. And, um, and I, uh, I cried a lot um, in front of every network executive. <laughs> um, and, be, you know, and, and breastfed in front of lots of horrified writers. And it was just, it was all, it was all bad. Um, yeah, and, and in it, I tried really hard to figure out what it was. The, the, as often happens when a show happens like that, where, where it's all about the business and the machine. The other thing that happened was that you know we started to kind of find our way in what we thought it was going to be about, and then Desperate Housewives hit, and Fox was like, you know... 
we know it's about the daughter of the devil um, in this small um, Oceanside community. But first of all, um, maybe there could be lots of adult neighbors who are played by people from Mower's Place. <laughs> um, and maybe it could be a lot of you know, a drama with them. And maybe the girls could be in bikinis a lot more often because the OC is also doing very well. So we had this great actress who you know, had like the body of a, of a popsicle stick. Like she was just straight and, and white. You know? And then we had to like spray tan her and put her in bikinis. And it was just, you know, there were so many times in that process when I just should have said no. Um, and instead I said, you know, how high? Because that's, you know, what I, and I, I learned a lot um, from the experience because we made the show worse. And then, and then eventually when we realized that it was going to get canceled, we made it better again. Like, I felt like once we had the freedom to do whatever we wanted, it got kind of loopy and weird. <laughs> and, um, and, and actually at the end I was like, oh, I know what this show should have been. Um, you know, she should have been just bad. You know, like she should have been evil. That would have been awesome. Not crying like, am I good? Am I evil? You know, it's not interesting. Oh, well. <laughs> so I, I wonder what, you know, moving on to the next things you did, did you, did you learn those lessons? Did you, you know, work on the things that you felt had meaning no, to you? No, I did not. <laughs> That's the way to do it. Everyone. <laughs> no, no, I didn't for a while. I, mm. I still, um, I had, I think like a lot of people, just this terrible anxiety that I was a fraud and I was never going to work again. So when people would come and say, like, guess what, you know, um, these people, you know, brothers and sisters, um, uh, same, same scenario, thought uh, that it, it wasn't something that I would have written on my own. As much as I am a white, um, upper-middle-class person, I'm not really interested in their problems, <laughs> unless they're mine or about my mother. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and so uh, I just couldn't connect to it. But it was again like I'll just be a good, I'll be a good soldier, and I'll I'll, I'll do a rewrite on the pilot. It's not going to get picked up. Um, and there you go, you know. And that show was, uh, you know, was just the worst experience. And that and that fortunately, um, that that changed me in a what, really good what way. What made it so terrible? I mean, Where without, do I start? Yeah, without not getting the act, into... Not the actors, yeah. actually. The actors were great. Um, it was... Uh, it was... I mean, it's interesting, because the playwright who I worked with, and I was sort of there to support him, um, John Robin Bates has talked a lot about it publicly, and he wrote sort of an infamous blog for the Huffington Post where he, he just... And, um, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll take the high road-ish and say, um, if, <laughs> um, uh, if you read those blogs, I mean, I think you'll see that he is a, he's not a TV writer, you know. And so it was like trying to stuff, a, you know, a square peg in a round hole, and that was my job, um, which I failed at miserably. Um, and again, you know, I didn't handle myself well in a lot of ways either. I, I, I'm not proud of some of the things I did in that situation. And, and again, it's, you, you get into this mindset where you think everybody in the world is going to die if you don't, you know, get the show right or on the air. And your whole perspective, you know, all your perspectives. So, you, you know, people just start getting evil toward each other. And you're just like, later you're just like, over oh, brothers and sisters? Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. it's like, it wasn't like the thing that I was going to be remembered for. Like, it wasn't even mine. Like, why was I so like, oh, we must make it better? You know, it's like, yes. Yeah, but when you're, when you're in medium. the machine, it's an easy It's easy the only thing you can that. see. You know? I'm curious about that uh, for you, Craig, yeah. uh, in, on Nikita. Uh, let's talk about because you're running that show. 
Mm-hmm. Um, how did you feel coming stepping in to run this? Uh, uh, it was the first show you've run, right? No, see, and oh, that, that's that's the the the. That's the story. Uh, the oh, first show I ran was a show called Standoff on Fox. Oh, I didn't realize you ran that. Yes. I like Standoff. Um, I hear, but but it, what you were talking about like really reminded me of, of that experience of the machine and the evil of the machine. And <laughs> the, it was unholy the way how that show got on the air. Really? Because that's not a show that <laughs> I, I would have written had, mm-hmm. you know, had I had my dr- – I mean, the way that that – and I think it says something about the TV business too um, – uh, it, and it happened so fast. The way that it happened was um, I was on a deal, which is, you know, I didn't know I was going to do a deal, mm-hmm. right? And then I was on this thing, and you get to go on the shows they tell you, and then you develop shows. And I, I brought a show to them that um, was also was brought to me that was this thing called Mob Lawyer. And... It was it's a little um, on the nose. Don't it's you? a little on the nose. <laughs> <laughs> Big fan. It was mob lawyer. But here's the thing. It was cool. Here's hmm. why. It was based on a memoir uh, written by this guy Frank Regano, who was the first like mob lawyer. Uh, it was the first Italian American lawyer in Tampa, Florida, in the '50s. Period. Um, and he uh, was like became um, Santo Traficante's main uh, you know lawyer, and then became Jimmy Hoffa's main attorney. Um, he uh, wow. got chewed up by the mob, went into prison, and uh, came out in the 90s and wrote this memoir, which, in which he talks about, like, JFK assassination and how they were involved <laughs> and all this crazy <laughs> shit. And it was, oh it was awesome. And, yeah, um, <laughs> yeah. and, and so and it, this thing was going to be, um, you know, the first season was the 50s in Cuba. The second season was Jimmy Hoffa in the 60s. The third season was the 70s, and this was, you know, this was before Mad Men, so there was nothing to point to that was like... Yeah, I want to watch know. the show, though. Yeah, it was, it was amazing. <laughs> yeah. It was more of a, a law show, really, than a mob show, because mm-hmm. he never was actually a member of the mafia. Um, and also, oh, here's the other thing. It was going to be a co-writing thing with Nicholas Pileggi, okay? <laughs> so the studio got wind of this, and before I even was able to really pitch it to them, um, they were like, this is never going to happen. We, we're not going to take this around. We're like, really? Why? Like, mob stuff doesn't travel well overseas. There were like these, I'm like, really? Seriously? You're not even going to let me, like, fail at it with the buyers? Like, I'm not going to, you know? <laughs> and, and, and as this dance was going on, they were like, you have to come up with a backup idea. Oh. Um, and I, I said to Major, well, I'm not going to do that. And he says, you have to, in good faith, you have to come up with a backup idea. So I was like, oh, so I waited till two hours before the meeting that I was supposed to in, and in the coffee bean next to like the apple pan on Pico I went in and they had Wi-Fi and I was like you know and I basically was like looking around I tried to turn my movie ideas into TV ideas none of that was working um, I started to write on my pad I started to write uh, the ultimate thief the ultimate you know uh, and, then, and then I wrote the ultimate negotiator Right, and I was like, "What the what the fuck's a negotiator? Like a like, like a hostage negotiator?" And I didn't know anything about it, so I looked it up on the Wi-Fi, and it was like hostage negotiators uh, on HowStuffWorks.com. They were like, um, they work in uh, teams of two, which I didn't know, primary and secondary. Right, so I was like, "Oh, okay," and it was called primary, by the way, not standoff. Um, and I I was like, "Okay, hostage negotiators that are team." Married hostage negotiators? Mr. and Mrs. Smith with hostage <laughs> negotiators? I was like, 
you know, uh, this sounds like a, uh, like not a fuck you. This sounds like I came up with an idea that is that, but I'm certainly going to do mob lawyer, you know. <laughs> and um, I came up with six quick log lines, and then I was like, all right, here we go. And I got in the car, and I drove, and I was driving down <laughs> to the studio, and I was like, oh, my God, they're going to buy this. <laughs> That's what it was. And so when I went in there, I slumped down like it was the most unenthusiastic pitch you've ever heard. I was like, so you're going to love this. Uh, I said, you know, married hassles negotiators. And they were like, great, we love it. Can they not be married? And I said, okay. And then uh, we went across the street to the studio of the, the network. It's like across the little street. And um, went in there, and I was the same thing. And uh, they were like, okay. And... Um, and then I wrote the outline, and then I wrote the script, and then they made the pilot, and then it was on the air. <laughs> and, and all of a sudden, I was like, holy shit, like, how did oh this, you know, like, somewhere out there was somebody pitching something, like, awesome, you know, and this is now taking its slot. Now, that doesn't mean that I didn't work hard. That doesn't mean that I loved, that I loved the cast, mm-hmm. you know, um, and, you know, I threw myself into it, even though they, they were, the, the network was like, it's got to be gritty and I thought it was going to be like kind of like Grey's Anatomy, with you know, because I saw an episode of Grey's Anatomy where they were like flirting over this guy and he flatlined and they kept going. So I figured like, I figured like, oh well, this I can do that. But um, I was I was wrong about that, um, and um, I don't think it would that that would have worked. But they didn't even they were like, he's got to be tough, the main guy. He's got to be you know this and that. I'm like, you know, it's not Keeper Sutherland, it's Ron Livingston. Right. Like, come on, like, um, and but that was I you know. And then, and then, you know, like you said, you read reviews, and they're just like, what a predator, you know? Yeah. And, yeah. and you can't say, but I didn't, I was on a deal, and I, I had to, and there was another thing. I, liter- I literally had, I, literally USA Today, the most read McPaper ever, yeah. um, said, we don't understand. Marty Knox, and like total name uh-huh. check, used to be quite talent. I mean, oh. it was literally that bad. It was like on Buffy, she'd, and it, the whole subtext was just like, Joss wrote all her scripts. It was awful. It was awful. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think that that goes for a lot of these things. Even when you're the lowest writer on it, you know, you're getting credit and you're getting whatever the opposite of credit is yeah. uh, for a script that, you know, you may have wound you up having credit or you to didn't. Do da, da, da. Yeah, yeah, like, like, for, um, the outside doesn't understand the machinations of the, the, yeah. So and so you do and because you take the blame because yeah. they're not going to say, oh, we picked the title standoff, even though you know right. whatever. Like, um, you know, because you take the blame. That's why, like when Nikita rolled around, you know, I was like, well, she's going to kill people, mm-hmm. like, and we've got to be clear about that, mm-hmm. you know. Otherwise, I'm I'm not going to do it. So, is know? the show uh, as close to your vision as it? It's could good. Be? It's close. Like, yeah, I I'm having fun. Like, mm-hmm. I I know what it is. I'm telling a long, complicated story that um, I'm into. So, you know, and I'm ready to walk at any moment. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's so. the spirit. Yeah, I think no, but I think it is. I think it is actually. I think Definitely the is. having the desire to do something and the courage to walk away mm-hmm. is the thing that is the most important. Otherwise, you're going to sit there and try to make it work uh, when you can or don't believe in it. And then they're going to cancel you, fire you anyway, <laughs> and you'll be blamed. Yeah. So. Uh, Danny, I want to talk very briefly about your creating experience. Yes. Uh, you have this co-creator credit on Off Center with yeah. the Whites Brothers. 
Yeah, that's true. Well, it's sort of that sort of that backup plan again. I I was um I'd been pit- <laughs> I had a I, I you know I had this idea uh, that I had God what was the original idea I had this I, no I had this notion um for a show sort of a high concept show about um an evil Walmart like but it was like fundamentally evil um <laughs> uh, uh like it, there was like something evil happening there. Um, this and is different than Walmart. Uh, was, yeah. <laughs> and um, you know, I still love this script, uh, filling Goliath. Anybody wants to buy it? Uh, but uh, um, but uh, uh, um, and I had taken it around, and people really liked it, and Warner Brothers liked it. But they said, you know, like how, it's so out there, and it really was. I mean, it was. I, I, I don't know what I was thinking when I was doing it, and um, except that I liked it, and it made me laugh. And uh, um, and the Whites brothers, uh, they said, "Will you just take a meeting with uh, Chris and Paul Whites?" And I was excited to meet them. I had, at the time, they had done American Pie, and I heard that, that they were ad- adapting a book I had liked about a boy. Um, and so, I, I and and they were going to leave to make that. So I heard their pitch, and it was a very low concept pitch. Basically, it was Chris's experience as a guy in a relationship living with a rich English guy in New York who wasn't in a relationship, and this playboy while he was there. <laughs> And we just decided to make it the raunchiest show ever, and we made a pilot, and I, which I co-wrote with them, and, and did it. And we we proceed. I mean, my it, it was really the most fun I've ever had. Just pure fun. No one was watching. It was on the WB, um, and we were just like you know we were the it was there was a, every year it was like on the parents' television council we were on for two years, but it was like Buffy number one when you were there, and then we were number two. And I always swore that like we were going to sacrifice a baby or do something. Like, Demonic on the show. I, have a, I, I actually have framed in my office a standards and practices note. We did a, we did an episode. Um, this is this is the level of, uh, of of humor we had on that show. But where because this main character, this English character, was such a playboy, but he was from England, he had not been circumcised, so he's looking at adult circumcision because American women don't tend to. Yeah, they have an attitude about that, and so I and we had Eugene Levy play this um, um, uh, urologist, where we euphemized, if that's even a word, uh, found euphemisms for um, uh, as many things about penises and uncircumcised penises as possible. And the episode came out fine, but it was nowhere near as funny as the standards and practices note that we had gotten, where they they list like. On page like two and lists all it was a, it was basically the ultimate breakdown of this this um, how many different ways we said penis in this thing and I actually it was so good and the show was struggling I leaked it to the New York Post and and, and it got picked up and I think it got us like another season because people were very interested in it uh, um, but it, it was fun I, you know I created I then cr- wound I mean my heartbreaking story was I wound up creating a show. Um, for NBC, and I shot six episodes of it, um, and it never aired. It was, um, and it was, it was just, it was a, a show. Um, I, I took I, John Cho is one of the stars of uh, of, of Off Center, uh, this show, and uh, was, I, I just think he's just brilliantly funny. And I created a show around him, um, sort of about three generations of men all living down at Hermosa Beach in three separate houses. You know, one one sort of perpetual single, one in a relationship, and one young. And, um, you know, there were a lot of personal things in there. And it was funny. It was a multicam. It was ambitious. It wasn't perfect. Um, uh, um, uh, but it was better than anything NBC was putting on that year. I just want to just – I want to say, like, given what they were doing. And, you know, Kevin Riley just ultimately, um, you know, didn't – decided not to put it on. Um, uh, and, 
you know, I like Kevin fine, but um, and and that time, but he, he was a fucking idiot for not putting it on. I mean, there's just no there's no doubt about it. So that was my that was sort of my experience, uh, um, you know, creating shows. And I've written, I did a lot of writing of pilots. I did a lot of you know, um, as comedy started to shrink, you know, and development deals were shrinking, I was writing these pilots, and occasionally I'd shoot one, but mostly I wasn't shooting them. And then the writer's strike happened, and I, you know, have three kids and a mortgage, and I, I went a year without working, which was a terrifying time. And um, I wound up just specking. You know, I said, I'm going to try and make the transition, because I, I, I saw, well, it did seem like it was the golden age of dramas, and everything I was watching was dramatic. And I thought, so I specked out a couple drama pilots or comic dark things, including one thing I wound up immediately after um, the writer's strike selling to Showtime that was in development and I think is still in development right now <laughs> um, over there. But it got me a job on uh, my first drama, which was shooting in New York, this show called The Unusuals that Noah Hawley had done. And it was, it was fun. And I was all set to have a career in drama. I mean, I had offers on the table from other places. I liked being in a drama room because in a drama room, if you're the funny guy, they treat you like a shaman. It, <laughs> It was it was so it was so amazing. Like other writers would come to me with their scripts and just go, "I'm just looking here." It's like, "What would here?" Well, what if he said this? And they're like, "Oh!" And I was like, "Okay." So it was like fantastic. And um, I was all set to do that when Steve Levitan showed me the pilot of uh, of uh, uh, I even had like kind of an offer on the table from a show. He showed me the pilot from a uh, uh, for for. Uh, uh, Modern Family, and I was like, "Oh my god!" I guess I have to rethink uh, the next half of my career. But. Uh, um, uh, uh, I don't know what I was answering. I just. just talked <laughs> I don't either. You can cut out that. <laughs> yeah. That's how a lot of our uh, answers yeah. end. Anyway. Yeah, yeah. That's how a lot of my questions end. Yeah. Um, we have time for just a couple questions. I'm so sorry. You guys are too fascinating. We've run so long. Uh, Craig, you you said that Nikita is a long and complex story, and you guys do cram a lot of story and change and turns into an hour and then into 22 hours. How do you guys go about breaking that um, from the beginning? Oh, an actual question about the process of writing. <laughs> um, I guess that's allowed. Yeah, I know. It, it, it seems like uh, how can we keep it going? Because we keep yes, we like because we keep cramming in so much story. I get restless, so I and I hate like vamping, just like nothing's happening, you know. So, um, uh, but we plan it out, you know, in the beginning of the season where it's going. Where it's going is, um, you know, what I was kind of inspired by. Um, uh, alias in that sometimes they would get they'd, they'd change their paradigm you know at the end of a season but I don't think they did it on purpose I think that they were <laughs> getting there and they're like oh what are we going to do and they changed it up and um, then they were not able to stay with the new paradigm for a little bit and kind of went back to the old one that was sort of my perception of it when I kind of checked in and out and I thought I know I can't keep this up episodically the way it is you know, for the first season of her, she's a rogue and going up against the agency because at a certain point she's going to fail to take them down or keep failing and they're going to f- keep failing to stop her. So they're going to look like idiots or she is after a while. Um, and so that's why I was like, what if I planned the paradigm shifts and it's a new show every season. And so I planned out what that new show was going to be for, you know, um, and uh, I'm working my way to, to those to those markers. So it looks like, oh my God, it's all coming apart. And there, you know, but it's like, it's supposed to come apart because it's going to be something else later on. That's really cool. So, yeah. uh, other questions? 
This is for Craig specifically, but for anyone. Um, moving Nikita from Thursdays to Friday and from 9 to 8. Um, so just kind of a general scheduling versus creative question. Um, has that changed what you're allowed to do on the show and how you approach it or, you know, just, just any of that? Uh, no, not really. You mean like standard stuff like you could do more, less scary stuff at eight than nine or something that, yeah, but that doesn't, that, that's not, uh, something, uh, that I've heard. Um, and you know, it's, it's a low rated network. So it's like, we're low rated on Thursdays. We're low rated on Fridays. You know, it's like, it's not that much of a difference. And I've never, um, I've never been able to pay attention to ratings or, or nights or scheduling, you know, cause I just feel like I don't know. Um, I don't know how to, to write to it, you know? Um, like you said something about never not being able to move the dial. Like I certainly don't know how, um, you know, to do that or, and it'd be weird to write to move the dial. Um, I'd probably be look bad. I think, uh, whatever that would be, whatever I would do. Um, and growing up as a kid watching TV, I never thought about, there were, there are certain shows that I've seen that are awesome and nobody watches and certain shows that are huge that suck. And certain shows that are huge that are awesome and little shows that shouldn't be seen and aren't, you know? <laughs> so um, I think uh, you just keep, you know, doing what you're doing. Yeah, I'm curious about that from you guys as well. I mean, you're, you're nodding agreeing with Craig. And you're, you've been on shows that have been high and low uh, in the ratings. But how much do you pay attention to the business at large or trends in the business or things like that? Or is it just, you know, trying to keep working? You pay, I mean, I maybe I, I pay attention to it quite a bit. <laughs> I, I mean, I do pay attention. to You're the on a hit days. show. No, but not on. <laughs> no, I know. Look, I mean, we're wh- still doing great. What could, <laughs> what could possibly go wrong? <laughs> I'm talking like I had a whole career before I was on a hit show. <laughs> you know, where I would look at those those fuckers over there. Look at those guys, and now I'm that fucker. So that's fantastic. <laughs> but uh, but uh, no, I mean we I, we always like when I was doing just shoot me. I mean, I mean, NBC must have moved that. I mean, I think yeah. Steve oh talked about it like 18 yeah. times or something, and it just kept, str- you know, stringing along and stringing along. And it was doing well for them. But and you'd, you'd watch, you'd, you'd see that you'd see us move, and then you'd see like our rating, you know, fall to, uh, you know. So I, I, I've always paid mm-hmm. attention to it. But, mm-hmm. I don't know about you. A bit. Okay. Uh, yeah. Same. Uh, my <laughs> question's for Marty. Uh, now that you're consulting on Glee, uh, that's a show that has basically thrown a lot of stuff at the wall just to see what would <laughs> stick. But with writers like you and Ali Adler and Michael Hitchcock, and I'm just wondering, are you trying to do more linear storytelling? Because I think I've sensed some in some episodes this season. <laughs> I think. I you been. need to answer in song, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> she can do that. Oh, Again, getting Marty to sing? What? <laughs> No, I only do it with a band <laughs> and auto-tunes. Um, uh, yeah, we're trying. If you sense uh, a little bit of um, attempt to make it uh, make sense, uh, yeah, we're trying. Um, and it, it, you know, the thing I loved about the show and the reason why I decided to, to be there a couple days a week was um, there's a couple shows on TV where you kind of feel that um, – there's a there's a sort of slapdash like let's just try this quality to them and I, I'd say True Blood is another one where you know um, when it's successful I'm like I cannot imagine anybody writing that ever and there it is on TV and it was awesome you know and then other times I'm just like come on 
You know, like really, you know, there's so I'm watching the show going like that, that sway from like, come on to like, oh, my God, that was I got chills or I got, you know, and I feel that way about Glee. Like it, 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 it can be so, so um, daring, you know, and, and fun and it has music and it's fun, you know, but um, but yeah, sometimes it feels like, um, you know, the thread from episode to episode, you know, I think they we we were given that mandate this season, which was let's try to tell stories in a, you know, in a longer arc and remember. So that's certainly why, why we were there. I think after last season where they told a lot of great stories, it was just the connecting from episode to episode. Did, it didn't, it, it, you know, yeah, there was, there was a, they, they had a problem. So um, they know it and we are definitely trying. Great. Um, very quickly, we'll just go down the line. Uh, what are you guys watching on television? What are your rooms talking about? What's getting you inspired or excited, Craig? Uh, well, I, I mean, in my house, it's, you know, Phineas and Ferb and My Little Pony. <laughs> Friendship is magic. But uh, in uh, Louie, Louie mm-hmm. is not on right now, but I thought that that was the, the best thing I'd seen on, on TV since The Wire uh, yeah. was Louie. Yeah. Um, and uh, I started watching Homeland, um, mm-hmm. and don't tell me because I'm like three in. <laughs> I've got them all saved up. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, that's kind of correct answer. You know, Danny, Modern Family, by the way. Too. <laughs> oh, <laughs> you um, well, I, I, you know, it's uh, everybody says it, but Breaking Bad, I think, is like the greatest show. Um, my wife, this is funny. My wife and I, because um, I had never ever watched um, a minute of Friday Night Lights ever, oh. and in the course of, I think some insanely short period of time, like three weeks, watched everything. Watched five seasons of it. Wow, that was a good show. I, I, I wish I had watched it when it was on. Done. Yeah. So. Correct. Correct. Uh, yeah, season four of Friday Night Lights. Oh. Talk about changing the paradigm. Wow, I mean, a, come yeah. on. You're rooting for the team. You're rooting against the team. You're rooting for yeah. the... I was so great. I wrote... Jason Kadem's like this crazy stalkery fan letter after that. <laughs> I was just like, you are changing the... And then he just was like, you know... Anyway. Uh, uh, I'm kind of into a BBC thing right now. I'm into Sherlock and Jekyll. Yeah. Um, and I'm into uh, Downton Abbey. Can't wait. June 8th. I mean, July... Uh, January. It's a hip a fucking room. <laughs> it's a nerdist crowd, man. It's a nerdist crowd. So loving those shows. Um, Adventure Time. Adventure time. Uh, my boyfriend Great. who's here was uh, Jake the dog, and I was Fiona. Um, for the deep nerds for in the Thanksgiving. Room. Oh, yeah, no, just just last night. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that is all the time we have. Thank you to Craig Silverstein, Danny Zucker, Marty Noxon. Thanks to everyone here at Nerdist Industries and Meltdown Comics, and to Eight Two Six LA. We all have to run out of here because they have another show coming in. Oh, wow. So please take your stuff. You can, you can mob them, but do it out in the store. Out <laughs> in the store. Now leaving Nerdist.com. 